today, if you or somebody you know and love is interested in helping out with our sound team, um, notice that. If you or somebody you know, right, if you've got to elbow somebody, do that, right? Now's the time. Um, but if you know somebody who could help out or is interested in maybe helping out with the sound, sound booth and turning on and off and all that stuff, and uh, please see Noah or Kalen in the back after uh, the service today. And we're going to try to get some times uh, over the next few weeks um, and, and moving forward to get some other folks trained to help out a little bit. Because right now the number of people that can do it is like that many, all right? We need, we need at least that many, all right? So if you think you can do it, which I'm sure that you can because it really is just, I mean, for the most part on and off, <laughs> but they're going to tell you all about it and get you trained, and, and uh, we're not going to throw you back there by yourself until you're confident and capable and, and ready to go, but if you're willing to help out, we would love to have some help. A couple other things. This evening, all right, 6.30, we're going to be having our Bible questions and answers night. Now, we've had several who turned them in already, and so I've got questions ready and lined up for tonight, but if you've got questions, drop them in one of these right here, anytime, by the way, and I'll hold on to them, and we'll have another night where we do this. And I want to try to answer as many as I can get to tonight. So if you've got a Bible question tonight, or if you don't know what the Bible questions are that are going to be there tonight, you should probably come. And you just might learn something. You might get something answered. But uh, uh, be praying for that, that the Lord would use it. And I'm looking forward to uh, doing some more of that stuff. Then this coming Friday, as you guys know and have known and should know by now, that it is going to be our first annual Fabulous Family Fall Fling Ding and Chili Cook-Off, where we're going to have fun, fun, fun till we're... There we go. All right. Hey, but we got some things uh, I'm excited about. We've got some door prizes. We've got a prize for the winner of our pumpkin pie eating contest. We've got a prize for the hottest chili in, uh, not the coldest chili, but, you know, the best chili, right? We're not doing prizes. Cold. If you bring cold chili, you don't win nothing, right? We're sending you back home, right? <laughs> but uh, come, come ready to eat. And, and by the way, if you don't like chili, bring something else, right? Or if you do like chili, bring something else anyways. Bring dessert, side dish, whatever you want to bring, all right? It's just a good time to come and to gather fellowship. That's what this is about. We want to get together, enjoy one another's company. We will also have some games for kids, all right? So any kids that want to come will have some games set up, and each kid's also going to get a big old bag of candy. And any of the candy that is left, it's already going to be in bags with gospel tracks. So that means they're going home with y'all and anyone else that wants them to pass out to friends, neighbors, and everything on Halloween, which will be two days after. All right, so next Sunday, uh, it, I know it's Halloween night, but we're still going to have Lord's Supper that night, uh, right now at 6 o'clock, to get you out a little bit earlier so that you can be home and trick-or-treat if you'd like to, but mark it down. I'd love to have you here for it. And then as well, bigger announcement, all right? Um, we've got a project that we're going to be doing. Um, how many of y'all have ever heard of Samaritan's Purse, Operation Christmas Child? All right, well, this isn't that, but it's similar, okay? Um, <laughs> as you walked in there, all right, let, let me ask you this. How many of you ever heard of missionary A.J. James before? Fewer of you, all right? Well, guess what? He's y'all's missionary. We support him monthly, and he's right there on the board. And he's not here with us today, but he's on the back missionary board. Stop by and take a look at him one day and see what he does. But what he's uh, doing is he's sent in to any churches that want it uh, sort of Christmas shoebox style boxes that are out there on the little table, all right? Next to it is a little handout that tells you what to put in, how to do it, but we got 75 of them, all right? And you've got until, I don't know, it's on the thing. So it's the, I think the last Sunday in November, all right? But gather up as much stuff as you want. Put some love into those boxes, okay? And if you want to take one a day and do it and bring, do another, if, however many you want to do, we got 75 of them. And, and let's do this. They're going to be going to the hurricane-ravaged Louisiana area. 
Many of them are still trying to rebuild their homes, their churches, their lives. So uh, please, we want to be a blessing to them, and he's going to take it down directly. But I'm thankful for things like Operation Christmas Child. But for this, we get to support our personal missionary who's going to be supporting, and we know exactly where it's going, and we get to put a lot more stuff and love into these boxes in some ways. So um, I, I hope you can participate and help out with that. But uh, anyways, I'm going to quit flapping my app. I'm thankful to be here in church. If you're a visitor uh, for the first time or first time in a long time, if you want to, you can slip up your hand. We've got some guys in the back who will get you a visitor card. We just want to make a connection with you, and we've got a gift for you on your way out the door today. But I want to thank each one of you for being here. And uh, today, may in all that we do and say and sing, Christ be honored and glorified. Now let us pray, and then uh, we'll worship the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. <clears throat> God, I thank you for each one that's here. Thank you for another day of life that we can gather, we can worship and praise your name. Lord, thank you for the work you've already been doing in hearts and lives today. God, I pray that you continue to do just that. Lord, help us to have uh, our hearts open to your word as, as it is open to us. Lord, I pray that as we stand and we sing, Lord, that we wouldn't care about what we sound like or who's around us, but Lord, that we would sing uh, with hearts that are full of praise for you, for all that you've done, Lord. You are good, you are faithful, you are gracious, your mercy uh, endures forever, Lord. Help us to be mindful of these things and to keep you at the focus and the forefront of all that we do today. Lord, we love you and we pray that today that you would do a work in hearts that only you can do. We give this time over to you now and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I guess before we start uh, get into the worship part of our service when we sing, um, nobody announced who was going to bring the, the roll aids or the prevacid or whatever, the chili cook-off, so we didn't put that on the list, but, but no... Uh, on behalf of the church, you know, it is Pastor Appreciation Month, and uh, this morning I'm going to put them on the spot, and, and just want to kind of recognize uh, Pastor Joe and Cammie, and um, thankful what has it been, three or four months, or five years, or depends on how you look at it, I don't know. The most impressive thing about uh, Pastor Joe uh, and Cammie, in my opinion at this point, is he hadn't ran yet. I think, I think he may have one time, but Cammie caught him. But, uh, but no, I, I really appreciate uh, Pastor Joe and Cammie and, and, and what they're trying to do here and, and, and accomplish here. And I, I truly believe that uh, the Lord called them here and, and the Lord placed them here in our lives. So uh, on behalf of the church, uh, we've got a card here with maybe something you can uh, head down that uh, cookie, cake, and ice cream aisle at Food Line. Everybody give him a hand. Amen. We love our pastor. And we appreciate you, pastor. Okay, let's uh, get our worship started here today as we turn to... Hymn number 153, if you desire to do that, stand if you're able as we sing worthy of worship, our God, our Savior. He is worthy of worship. Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Revelation 411. Worthy. 
222 if you desire to turn there Lord we praise you all throughout the Psalms and especially Psalm 150 verse 1 praise ye the Lord praise God in his sanctuary Lord we praise you Lord we praise you Lord Chronicles 16:34 says, "Give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good." Our next hymnal is "God is Good," hymn number 193. If you prefer to turn there, "God is so good." God is so good. God is so be seated after you turn around 
<laughs> and wave and make sure you catch somebody maybe that's a visitor. And I'm waving at everybody. I hadn't missed anybody, right? Okay. Thank you all so much. Please be seated. Now we have a special music and song by the pastor's wife, Miss Cammie Bryant. So before I sing, there's a running joke that I have a redneck voice and a trained voice. So you've heard the redneck voice, but today you get to hear the trained voice. So if I close my eyes, it's because I'm focusing real hard.
beautifully done. We appreciate that. Praise the Lord for a song like that. Amen. Amen. Well, join with me in prayer to our loving Savior who cares about us. We cast all our care upon him, for he careth for us. And uh, ask him to meet with us and uh, accept our worship here today to the one that is worthy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time we can come to you. Thank you for the music. Thank you for the songs. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in our midst here today. We ask, Lord, that you would magnify your presence as you already have. You continue to do so. And, Lord, uh, may you be lifted up and blessed. And blessed be the name of the Lord here today. Lord, that, uh, that you'd receive all praise, honor, and glory. Touch hearts, encourage that one that needs encouragement. Lord, convict us all of wrong things in our lives. Convict us of sin. And Lord, help us to be more like you. Help us to love like you and live like you want us to, Lord. And help us to be obedient in all things and be a light to a dark world and to a lost world. We love you. We ask, Lord, your blessings on the pastor and his message. We pray, Lord, that you'd give him power. Lord, uh, as he preaches your powerful word, and, Lord, give him liberty, freedom, and uh, clarity of thought and speech as he proclaims your wonderful word. And may everything accomplished here today and much, we pray that much would be accomplished, be for your honor and your glory. And we praise you, Lord, for everything that you are. And most of all, that you're holy. And we praise you for your holiness. In Jesus' name, we ask and pray all things. Amen. Okay, as we continue in singing, you can stand if you're able. And we're going to sing uh, hymn number 636, if you choose to turn there. I must tell Jesus. I cannot bear 
must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Now we come to the probably the most important part of our worship and service here today is the preaching of God's Word. Pastor Joe. Well, we appreciate y'all appreciating us. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, we do appreciate it. Uh, thank y'all. Grateful to be here and, and I thank for what the Lord's doing. Um, this time, Children's Church, ages four to six, will be dismissed. They can head out back door and circle around. They can come through this door, whichever way. Find a door, right? <laughs> but ages four to six for Children's Church and they'll be dismissed for their time. Uh, and if uh, you're going to stay here, right, the rest of you adults and everybody else here, uh, take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter number 2. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. As we've been looking this month of October at the foundations of faith, I believe, and we'll reiterate that each week with each one of these, and, and with our whole life, and we dealt with it this morning a little bit with Sunday school, that we have got to return to the very foundations of what we believe, why we believe it. We have settled for uh, just playing church or playing the part, and, and really all that is is just playing the part of a hypocrite or a Pharisee. It's, it's really nothing real there. What we need is to return back to what God has to say and what God intends for us. We've dealt with, first of all, the dealing with the Scripture alone. That doesn't mean that all that we read is a Scripture, but it means that everything that we do in our life, everything is empowered by the Scripture, everything is uh, under the authority of Scripture, must be tested by the Scripture, and that it's through the Scripture that God alone speaks to us. We've dealt with how we are saved by grace alone. It is not by your works it is not by any goodness. It is not by anything that you've got to offer God. It is simply by the free gift of grace. And we've also dealt with how we are saved, not only by grace alone, but through faith alone. It is faith alone that saves. Faith in, as we're going to see today, Christ alone. We have missed this. And throughout our churches, in our circles, mind you, unfortunately have Preach that you must be born again, repent, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall be saved, and rightly so, because that's what the Bible says. But then has said, but if the next week you don't look perfectly sanctified, then you must not have got it right, so go back, try it again. Or, or they've built or based salvation upon an emotional experience or a particular work. And Now, when I'm talking about works, let's not think here that works are just limited to trying to be a good person. We have made, unfortunately, many pastors well-meaning have made works based salvation out of, well, I serve in this ministry of the church, or I walked the aisle, signed the card, prayed the prayer, got dunked and baptized, and now I'm saved, and that's why. That is not salvation. That is religion. I don't want you to come here and get religion. I want you to come here and be right before the sight of God. And the only way that you'll be right, or the only way that I will be right before God, is in Christ alone. The Scripture reads here today, 1 Timothy chapter number 2, Verses 5 and 6, this is our base portion of our message today and will also be later on in Hebrews 9. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Let us pray. 
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the song sung and for the worship and praise that has been lifted today. I pray that now that we would understand that just because preaching is happening, that worship stops. It does not, Lord. We, we are to worship you now in spirit and in truth and through the preaching of your word and through hearing your word open and spoken. And so, God, I pray that it would be through that that you would do great and mighty things. As your word is open now, open up my mouth, open up my heart, open up our hearts today to it, Lord, that you would give us exactly what we need today, nothing more and nothing less. God, I pray that you would do a work and a move uh, through this place today, and Lord, that you would change hearts and lives. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to give you a few startling statistics today, all right, just to get you rattled a little bit. I want you to know that studies are showing now in 2021 that every 10 out of 10 people are going to die. Did you know that? Startling statistics. There's nobody getting out of here alive, right? And this is the most recent of studies. You should have seen what it used to be. It used to be one, 100 out of 100, right? Now it's, that is down to 10 out of 10. 100% of souls are going to stand before the Lord. And when they stand before the Lord, if they have to give an account as to why they should enter into the gates of heaven or walk the streets of gold, if they were to ask and to give an answer, most people would give an answer that looks like, well, I trusted Jesus when I was, you know, such such age, or I went to church or I was a member of so-and-so and I love the ones that say I'm saved because I'm a member of such and such church and I ask them the pastor's name and they can't think of the pastor's name if you're a member of a church and don't know who the pastor is or don't know what's happening at the church because you're not being a part of the church you're either one just a lousy member or you're not even a part of the global membership of the body of Christ you don't actually know the Lord you say you do we get some things twisted, mixed up, and we've got all sorts of answers, all sorts of things, but the only answer that we have that will get us into heaven is nothing that we can come up with. It is nothing that we can say. It is nothing that we can present before God. It is simply Christ alone. It is that He gave His life for mine. I deserve death, hell, and the grave. I deserve punishment. I deserve the wrath, but it is Christ alone who has bore the wrath reserved for me. Now, all we know is grace. We are saved by the free gift of God's grace through faith in Christ alone. There is no work. There is no merit. There is nothing else. And if we add anything else, then it ceases to be Christ alone. Then it begins to be our salvation that we have made along with Jesus. This is not a tag team wrestling match. This isn't. This isn't one comes in, Jesus comes in, and he does the cross work, and, and he raises from the dead, and then he tags us in to come in and to be a good person and to be a good church member and, and to try our best to turn over a new leaf, and then you know we pin the devil, and one, two, three, we win the match. It is all Christ. He's the champion. He's the superstar. He's the one who fought in our place. Today as we come to this, I want you to understand and to make it perfectly as clear as possible that if you are saved today it is through Jesus alone his work his faithfulness his goodness his righteousness you contribute nothing except for your sinful baggage and dirty wretched heart he gives us everything else it is through the work of Christ that not only saves you but sanctifies you. And it is through Christ alone that one day we will enter into heaven's gates and see Him upon the throne where He rules over all things because He alone has authority and power and deserves to rule because He alone is God. That, from start to finish, what's going to get us there? What's going to get us home? Christ and Christ alone. First of all, we're going to look at three things today in each of these passages of Scripture we're going to look at. 
We're going to look at the man, the mediator, and the message. First of all, in this passage, 1 Timothy chapter number 2, the man. For there is one God and one mediator between God, men, the man Christ Jesus. I know that the man Christ Jesus smack dab in the middle of that, or towards the end of that verse, and in between verses 5 and 6, right there in the middle. But we have to understand who Christ is. And we've said it before, and we'll say it a thousand more times. If you have a wrong view of who Jesus is or who God is, everything else will be wrong in the way you live your life, the way you view the Scripture, the way you view the world. We need not only a biblical worldview today, but we need a Christ-focused, Christ-centered worldview. Not just for the way that we live our life outside of the church, but it's time that we care more about what Jesus cares about inside the church than what sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so really thinks or feels because they've been there X amount of years and give X amount of money. It is about Jesus. And the moment the church stops being about Jesus, it's no longer a church. And I would say that what we've got is a whole lot of folks who care more about what others think or care more even, and y'all ready for this, buckle up, it's okay, you'll get through it, what bylaws and constitutions say more than what Jesus says. What is going to get you into heaven is not constitution bylaws or what you think, feel, act, or, or love, or what you've given. It is going to be what Jesus has said, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. It's Christ and Christ alone. Now, I want you to know this, that Jesus, a few things about us and Christ, that you and I as men of flesh are not the same as the God-man. Now, he put on the same flesh that you and I got but without a sin nature and without the ability to sin, but was tempted like we are, who suffered and, and faced physical pain and, and faced loneliness and, and emotions that you and I face. He knows how to suffer. If anyone knows how to suffer, it is the suffering servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has come to the flesh. But you and I are all born a lot different than him in this sense, that you and I not only have the ability to sin, but all we do and contribute to our life and contribute to our walk is sinfulness. It is not rags to riches. All we've got is just rags. The riches come from Christ and not from us trying to eventually turn our rags to riches because all we've got is filthy, oily, dirty, nasty sinfulness. It's Christ who changes your heart. It's Christ who changes your mind and your hands and where your feet go and what your mouth says. It is Christ who does these things. I want you to turn with me briefly over to Colossians chapter number one. All men are born with sinful natures, are against God, and in great need to be redeemed and reconciled to him. First, uh, Colossians chapter number one tells us in verse number 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Where were we? We were in darkness. We were in the kingdom of darkness. And now we've been translated, transposed, brought over from that dark kingdom into the kingdom of Christ. The kingdom of his dear son. In verse 14, notice this. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Nowhere in Scripture do we find where it says, in whom we have redemption or salvation through your good works, through church membership, through being baptized, through uh, praying a sinner's prayer. But we only find it in the blood of Jesus. And I want you to know this. We're not talking about you have to come here and we have the literal physical blood of Christ. What this is dealing with is His substitutionary atoning death on your behalf. That's what 1 Timothy is dealing with. 
a mediator. And that's what we're going to see in just a moment. That Christ shed His blood when you should have. We often forget this little tidbit of information. There, the day that Christ died, they were about to crucify another man who was going to be the middle man. His name was Barabbas. He was a crook, even a murderer and a thief, and had led insurrection. And he was supposed to die that day, but instead what happens is the crowd says, give us Barabbas, and you kill Jesus instead. And Jesus, what had he had done? Had he had done anything wrong? Had he had done any sin? Had he had sinned against the people? No, instead he had come and he had lived righteously. He had upheld the law. He was God in the flesh. He came into his own, and his own received him not. They didn't want what he was. They wanted an insurrectionist. They wanted someone to come and overthrow the Romans. They didn't want someone to come and to die for their sins. They wanted someone to come and to show them how to live and to give them a a political Messiah. And that's what most people are looking for today. If that's what you're looking for, you're seeing the wrong person. You're looking for the wrong thing. What we need is Christ. We need Jesus who comes and He takes the cross that we should have bore. He takes the beating that we should have had. He takes the nails that should have been in our bodies. He takes in the death that literally that He died, that you and I should have died. Because we are guilty and He is not guilty. And He does these things according to Colossians chapter 1 to redeem us through His blood. To reconcile us to the Father. Why? Because there is a giant gap between you and God. He's holy. You are not. He's righteous. You are not. He's God and you are mortal, temporary flesh made by Him. And you must be made right. Not by anything that you do, but what He does in you and for you and through you on your behalf. Colossians 1 verse 20 tells us, and having made peace through the blood of His cross. Notice that same phrase, blood. We don't serve a Savior who did not shed His blood. We serve a Savior who literally poured out His blood. The cross was not some sort of little, you know, He got just tied up there and left until He died. He literally shed His blood. The blood flowed so profusely. We forget, and we're going to look at it in a little bit over in Hebrews, that the sacrifices that the Old Testament talked about were not a, just a, you know, knock the, uh, the lamb or the ram or bull in the head and, and then we'll burn it up. No, it was bloody. Gory, even. It was a bloody mess. Why? Because it was to slaughter that animal to cover the sins of people because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so when we talk about the cross of Christ, it was not some little pretty picture. It was not just a little decoration. It was a bloody carcass of a man hanging upon that tree for your sins. He became your sins to reconcile you, to bring peace between you and God. By Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him I say, whether it be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled. Jesus is the great reconciler. And we need, as we're about to see, a mediator. Someone to come on our behalf to go between us and God because we can't get to Him. We can't bridge the gap. We can't jump. We can't crawl there. We can't do anything to get there. It's Christ who brings us there. It's Christ who makes a way where there is no way. It is Christ who reconciles a relationship where we were against God and because we were against Him, He was against us. We forget that we were enemies of God. 
We forget that without Christ, you are an enemy of the cross. But it's the cross that takes an enemy and makes him a friend or a son or a daughter of the one true king. It's the cross that does these things. The God-man. We have got to understand and know that Jesus is God. If you don't believe that Jesus is God, you are not saved today. Nor have you read the Bible, nor do you know who God is. Uh, and you are, a matter of fact, an antichrist and go against what the Scripture teaches and go against who Jesus actually is. You must understand that Jesus is God. He is from eternity to eternity. If He is not God, then He cannot save. Why? Because man can't save themselves, so who can save Him? Only God can. And therefore, if Jesus is not God, and, and, and by the way, He wasn't born just a man and then became God or had a spark of God. He always has been God. We forget the mama who was a virgin that he was born to. He's the same one that created and formed and fashioned her while she was in her mother's womb. That's who Jesus is. He's the same Jesus who was there at the beginning of creation. The same one that John talks about. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. We beheld all of who He was. He is God and He is man. The eternal God put on temporal flesh. If He is not man, then He cannot be a sacrifice or fulfill the word or will of God. God is eternal. Can God die? It must be the flesh that dies. And so God puts on flesh to come and to be this visible image of God the Father to then put on flesh that you and I have to be able to shed blood innocent blood for guilty souls that's what happens jesus is god he is man he is not just a man who is a good teacher or a moral preacher he is god in the flesh only the god man can be a mediator between god and man man can't mediate between man and god it takes all of god and all of man in one to do this work. Back over in 1 Timothy chapter 2. For there is one God. The Godhead. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The three in one. But there is one mediator between God and man. And that is the man Christ Jesus. You and I need a mediator. I'm going to read for you a couple of verses. You don't have to turn there. Job chapter 9 tells us this. Job is replying to his friends who are trying to give him all sorts of wisdom. Job has had everything and lost it all, and then some. He feels as if he's done no wrong. He, he has no specific sin. He can go back and say, well, that, that's the cause of the whole problem. That's the whole issue of everything. And by the way, most of us can boil probably most of our problems down to sin, disobedience, lack of faith, lack of trust in the Lord. Job here, he, he's looking like a pretty clean slate here, but here's what he has to say. Job chapter 9, his reply in verse number 32. He's talking about God and he says, For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman but twixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Job here is begging for a mediator. He says, If only I had someone who could put his hand on God and put his hand on me. Someone who could come on my behalf and, and talk to God for me and, and find out these wrongs and, and to make them right. 
If only I had someone who could come and give me exactly what God is saying and bring it to me so that I might know and understand. If only I had a daysman betwixt us, between us to bring us together. What is that? It is the mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. A mediator is one who brings two parties together in an act of reconciliation and restoration. And mind you this, Jesus told every believer that we have the office and the ministry to be reconcilers and restorers. You and I are called to not only be reconciled to God, but to reconcile men to men and to call people to repentance and faith so that they might be reconciled man to God. That they might know God and be reconciled and have peace with God and, and to know Him, to trust Him. This mediator acts as it were, for Job, as he is crying out for, and as you and I, if we understand our sinfulness, must as well cry out for and anticipate and hope for, is that we need a go-between. We need the man in the middle. Because we are so far from God and can't get to Him in our sinfulness and our unholiness, being dead in sins and trespasses. So where can we go? And God, being so holy and so righteous and so just and so pure and so perfect and so high and lofty above all of His creation, How can we get there? We can't get to Him, but what He does is He comes to us. This mediator. This great divide that takes place. And as 1 Peter 3, verse 18 tells us, For Christ also hath once suffered. Notice that. Once suffered. We'll deal with that in a little while. For sins. The just for the unjust. That He might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. It is Christ who is the just one. God who is the just one. Dying, taking the place of the unjust. The innocent being declared guilty. What happens to Christ on the cross is that He becomes guilty who was not guilty because you and I were. Our guilt is laid upon Him. Yet most of us would settle for just, you know, I like the Jesus at Christmas, and I like the Jesus at Easter, and I like the Jesus who gives me things, and I like the Jesus I can pray to. We forget that same Jesus is the one that died because of you. Not just for you, but because of you. More so, we see the sinless mediator becomes sin so that sinners can have access to a holy God. I want to give you five things at what happens at the cross of our mediator. Our mediator, Jesus Christ, the God-man at the cross. Number one, Jesus reaches back, securing the salvation of every Old Testament saint who were saved by grace through faith. There was no one in the Old Testament that was saved because they did good works or kept the works of the law, but rather they were saved by grace through faith and anticipating and trusting in one day the Savior would come, that promised seed, that promised Savior, and He has come. And Jesus on the cross as the meteor brings them all and says, I'm the one that you are trusting in. I'm the one that was promised. I'm the one that's fulfilled these things. I'm the one that you trusted in. I'm the one that has saved you. Jesus also reaches forward to save and forgive the future sins of all those who will one day trust in Him alone. That's you and I. He reaches in the past. He reaches to the future. And that all those who trust in Him, whether past, present, or future, are saved by the same way. By grace alone, through faith alone, in the object, the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man alone. There is nothing more, nothing less that you can add. It is through 
what He has done, our mediator. Third, Jesus reaches upward to the Father to be the propitiator, the satisfaction of His divine and just wrath against sin. He reaches up and it's by His blood that is upon the mercy seat that God the just is satisfied to look upon Jesus and what He's done on that cross and then to pardon me. Not because, Jesus, or not because God looks at me and says, oh man, look how good He's living. But He looks at the marred image of, of Christ who has been beaten and bloodied and abused and has become sin itself. And He says, because My Son and His work and who am I well pleased and satisfied? You can go free, the one who is guilty. Today, He says the same thing to you. You can go free. Fourth, Jesus reaches downward to pull sinful man to the presence of God through His perfect and substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus reaches back to get Old Testament saints. He reaches forward to get the New Testament saints. He reaches up to the Father to satisfy His wrath against sinful man. He reaches down then to sinful men to bring him up to a holy God. And who's there in the middle? Who's the days in betwixt the two? Who's the mediator? The man Christ Jesus. Not the law. Not your works. Not church. But it is Christ and Christ alone. Lastly, this one was added this morning. Jesus then reaches outward. All who will come by faith. Today, Jesus is not just reaching back and forward and up and down, but He's reaching out to you today. To all those who hear this Word preached. To all those who not only need salvation, but need help with their discouragement or their depression or their hearts or their sin or their walk with Him. He's reaching outward to you today. To all those who would come to trust Him. All those who would come by faith. And mind you this, dear saint, you don't just come to God by faith to be saved, but you come to God daily by faith to walk and to trust Him and to know Him and to be free of sin and to battle this spiritual walk. It is continuously, daily, intentionally, and purposefully going to Christ as He reaches up and He reaches down and He reaches backwards and He reaches forwards and He reaches outwards to you. And all those who come to Him, He will in no wise cast out. Dear saint, with your sin with your issues, with all of your brokenness, why do you not reach out to the One who's reaching out to you? How long will you run? How long will you hide? How long will you do this on your own strength? How long will you continue to rebel? Come to Christ while He reaches outward. Today is the day of salvation, not just for the lost, but for the saved. Not to be saved again from hell. Not to get re-saved. But to be saved from ourselves to be saved from our, our terrible thought life and to be saved from our, our issues, and our discouragement, our worries, our anxieties. To be saved from our sinful flesh daily that we might mortify it, we might kill it and put it to death so that we might live for Christ and Christ alone. We see that because Jesus has done all this, that your life is and must be focused on Jesus. If you and I, each individual, were to focus on Christ then you know what wouldn't matter anymore? Color of carpet. What happened in the business meeting? Or what didn't happen? Who, who's teaching this or who's leading that? Who's up here singing and what they're wearing? If Christ is my focus and Christ is why I'm here, 
then Christ is all I need. And Christ is all that matters. And Christ is the only one that gets the glory out of it, not anyone else. But guess what? I can't do that for you. No one else can either. You either trust and look to Christ, or you're going to look to something else. But right now, in your spiritual heart and your life, you are looking to something or to someone. You must look to Christ and Christ alone and live. The message of this, that there is one God, one mediator, who gave Himself a ransom for all. The message of the cross is, first of all, it's inclusive. It means all those who do come by faith in Christ may enter in and be saved. That's you today. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't come for the religious. He didn't come for the righteous because there are none. He came that the sinner might come to Him. That the sinner might be reconciled to God through His work, through His cross, through His blood. The message of this is also exclusive. While all may come, not all will. Only those who trust in Christ will be redeemed. There is only one God. There is only one mediator. You say, well, I don't find where Jesus said that. This must be made up. Oh, Jesus made it perfectly clear. He looked to His disciples and He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Me. Jesus does not say, well, you can get there through me. And as long as you're sincere in your walk or your religion or your faith or whatever you're trusting in, no. He is the object of faith. Because I want you to know you're not just saved by faith alone, but it's in Christ alone. You can have your faith in church. You can have faith in your baptism. You can have faith in the thousands of false gods that are out there today and still die in your sins and in all of your sincerity. You must Be born again and look to Christ. Because He says it. He says, all who come, come. I won't cast you out. I'll give give you rest for the weary. But He says, unless you come through Me, you're not going. Today, I would ask you, person, lady, man, sir, whatever you think you are today, whatever you're acting like today, you might have been in church all your life. You might have said, I know God and, you know, I do my best and all that stuff. But let me ask you, have you been born again? Have you truly trusted Christ and Him alone? Is there anything added to your salvation? Is it just Jesus? Because I want you to know, it will be nothing else. And it will be a very hot and fiery hell sliding off a church pew. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Now turn with me to Hebrews 9. Say all of that by introduction to get to Hebrews. (laughs) The man, the mediator, and the message of Hebrews. If you can have a favorite book of the Bible, for me it just might be Hebrews, and you say you're not supposed to have favorites. Well, I do, so suck it up. (laughs) Hebrews 9. Many would say, don't read the whole chapter, but I'm going to, and I want you to understand why. says verse number one and let's really look at these words and i want you if you have a pen it's okay to mark up your bible i want you to underline every time that you see the word blood christ him himself 
I want you to see this. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service in a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was a candlestick and the table and the shoebread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that had budded and the tables of the covenant. And over the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest, alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. Now here's where it gets real good. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once, not every year, once, into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit of offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, He is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force, is of force after men are dead. Otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law. He took the blood of calves and of goats and water, you know, with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that He should offer Himself often, as a high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood for others, or blood of others. 
For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Man is sinful. And man worshiped God through the sacrifices of the tabernacle. Man could not keep the law, the covenants. He couldn't be perfect before the sight of God. He needs a mediator to go on their behalf. Israel had priests and the high priest who would sacrifice on behalf of the people. Every year on the Day of Atonement, you couldn't just go in all willy-nilly on your own. As a matter of fact, only the high priest could enter in the Holy of Holies. And guess what? They tied a rope around him in case he struck dead from the presence of God. We don't take the presence of God near serious enough, nor do we take the blood that was shed for us near serious enough. You and I could barely not even get into the tabernacle uh, property, let alone into the holies, let alone into the holy of holies. But now through Christ, we have boldness and can enter in, not because of what we've done, but because of what has been done on our behalf for us. The mediator on the Day of Atonement. Israel's mediator was the high priest. They couldn't just go to God and, and just go here. Hey, I tried my best again, God, this year. and You'll just overlook all my sin. They had to sacrifice and to make blood but this high priest alone could do it and it happened for the sins and to atone for the sins but he had to do so not just one time but every single year year after year after year the blood of innocence is having to be shed for the blood of the guilty on the day of atonement sacrifices are made by the high priest on behalf of israel's uh, sin the innocent must die for the guilty. We see this from the very first sin ever committed in the Garden of Eden all the way to the last. As we're about to see, there has been a final complete sacrifice. The mercy seat of God covered in the blood of Christ, the blood of His cross, to reconcile all things unto Himself. But what happened on the Day of Atonement, it's another sermon in and of itself, but there's a key here. There would be a first goat which would be killed and its blood sprinkled upon the mercy seat for the sins of the people. But there was another goat, a second goat, where we get the phrase scapegoat from. What's a scapegoat? In church, it's the pastor. <laughs> or the deacons or whoever you don't like at the moment. Scapegoat, we know, is the one that we can put the blame on in it. They're the one that could take the blame. The scapegoat, the second goat, the high priest would lay his hands upon this goat to, as we talked about last week, impute, put on, reckon onto this goat's account the sins or the guilt of the people. And the goat is then sent out into the wilderness to die and never return. We have one goat that is literally slaughtered and its blood is sprinkled upon the, the holy holies of uh, inside the tabernacle upon that mercy seat to satisfy the wrath of God for the behalf of the people. 
And even for that priest, before he even does this, he's going to offer sacrifice for himself so that he's clean, so that he can enter in and to make atonement for the people. And he's going to have to do this every single year. And if it's done incorrectly, he's going to die himself. But then there's a second goat that you can imagine waiting outside, and he comes out still covered in blood, which he'd have to then bathe and wash and go through this whole ritual. And you might have took a bath this morning, but guess what? Every time you sin, you don't have to take a bath or ritual, change your clothes, your garments. You don't have to come to the altar, get a new robe, and then walk out of here fresh and clean. No, this man had to do such for every sacrifice. And then he comes and figuratively, he literally puts his hand through the goat, and what takes place is figuratively, spiritually, is that the idea that the sins of the people are then placed on the scapegoat. It's sent out into the winters outside of the camp to go and to die. I want you to know, Jesus is both the first one whose blood is sprinkled upon the mercy seat of God and the one who died outside the camp. He didn't die inside the city, but they took him outside of his own city, of which he had founded, of which it was for him and by him and through him. And he died on that cross. He literally was imputed all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness. He was the scapegoat, and He did it for you. Don't tell me that God doesn't love you or that you don't know about the love of God. When He does all this while we are yet sinners, He dies for us. And notice this, that Jesus has once suffered, once offered Himself, once died for the sins of us. We don't have to have a yearly uh, day of atonement. As a matter of fact, it has been done. It is finished upon that cross. Our mediator is even greater than all of these things. Greater than everything that is mentioned in Hebrews because that's the whole thrust of Hebrews. You name something in your life right now. Whether it's sin, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety, whether it's uh, bills to be paid, and Christ is greater. Christ is better. Christ is stronger. Name any spiritual thing that you love, and Christ is greater. Christ is better. Christ is stronger. Our focus is, and should always be, and must always be, Jesus, nothing else. Our mediator, who is the prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is the prophet who preaches this good news, but he's also the good news. He's also the message. He's not just the prophet, but he's the message himself. He's the priest that goes in on our behalf to make atonement, but he's also the sacrifice. No high priest could offer himself as a sacrifice to die for the sins of the people so that they might be saved. Rather, God in the flesh had to do such, and He did it once and for all. Jesus is also the King and the mediator for the King and the people. The message of this whole chapter, and I would tell you the message of this whole book is this. Christ alone can forgive and cleanse once and for all. That Christ alone is greater than any prophet, priest, or king because He alone can fulfill each office perfectly and completely. Third, that Christ alone is the full and final sacrifice for sins. Y'all don't see no bulls, goats, rams, or sheep out here, do you? Why is that? Because the Lamb of God has already been slain and risen, and now He reigns, worthy to be the one to judge and open the book and to unleash wrath one day upon this world who has rejected Him, that He might one day make all things right for all those who put their trust in Him through His precious blood. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. 
No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's Christ alone who will come and reward them who await His coming as He tells us at the end of Hebrews 9. It's Christ alone who is sufficient in all things and for all things. I would challenge you to keep reading Hebrews and you're going to see that it is He alone who has made a way and shown the way and provided a way. Why? Because He is the way. Today as we bring this all to a close, it's Christ alone that can save. It is Christ alone that can satisfy your thirst or your hunger. It is Christ alone that can be your security today. Nothing else can offer that except for Jesus. Today, if you don't know Christ, I want you to know Him. Today, I've made it as clear and as plain as I possibly can. Trust in Him and be saved. To those of you who are saved but are struggling today with whatever you've got, I want you to know that Jesus is there reaching up, down, back and forward and out to you today. Would you reach out to Him? May this as well be a challenge for our church and for our hearts that today if you are not here for Christ and Him alone, then you should have went home an hour ago. This church is His. Not yours. Most certainly not mine. It is Christ and Christ alone. It belongs to Him. He has entrusted us to gather and to grow together in Him. If He's not the focus, bar the doors, board it up, shut her down. In your heart, if He's not the focus and the purpose behind everything, whatever it is in your life that He's not the focus or purpose of, close it down, lock it up, board it up, shut it down. Today, we need more of Jesus. As the piano plays and we all stand, we have a time of invitation. If you need to be saved, today come to Christ. He is there. Call upon His name and you shall be saved. Today, if you just need that refresher, if you just need that time again to come back to the Lord, to return to Him, to give Him a care, to give Him a burden, this altar's open. You'll find satisfaction, security in Christ alone.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. I thank You for every soul that's here today. And God, that You would do a work in us. Lord, that we would not leave this building without knowing You, without laying that burden at Your feet, Lord. You alone can take our hearts, fix them, encourage us, and strengthen us. And Lord, it's Your work. Lord, this is Your church. These are Your people. God, I pray that You would strengthen them and help them. Lord, may all that we do and say be Christ-honoring, Christ-centered, Christ-focused, Christ-glorifying. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Number 96. To thee we ascribe glory. Psalmist said in 29. I guess I better get a mic. Sorry about that. Psalmist said in 29.1. Give unto the Lord glory and strength as we sing to thee we ascribe glory. missed.